Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the My Other Options show. After investing $1.2 million, spending 17 plus years studying the human mind and working with youth and adults all around the world, Wes has, Wes has created a formula called Superhuman. Wesley D. Chapman has been an entrepreneur since the age of eight years old and was self-sufficient by the age of 16. Wesley started consulting CEOs of Fortune 500 companies at the age of 19. He has been featured on Fox, A&E, CNN, TechCrunch, Universal Films, and an abundance of other projects. Wesley has now changed his direction in life and has founded A Human Project. His mission? To create a community of empowered youth. I'm not going to speak about Wesley Star. I'm going to let him talk all about it because the way he presents it is just uh, remarkable. His story is incredible. And I hope you all take the gems that I took from this interview myself. Um, welcome to episode number five, guys, and I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, one last quick message before we uh, get into episode number five. We're gonna be giving away free books this month. So if you wanna get your copy of Jonah Burgers, Contagious, Why Things Catch On. This book basically explains virality. You know, why do certain videos and why do certain products catch on and others do not? This book explains it. So all you have to do guys is leave us a review on iTunes or leave us a review on SoundCloud. And from there, we'll be selecting some winners and announcing them on episode six. And from there, we'll just get in touch via email and be mailing you the book. Uh, also, tune into the book review of Contagious uh, if you do not uh, feel like leaving a review. Uh, and it'll be posted on myo.ca uh, via a video on YouTube. All right, guys, so here's episode number five, and I hope you enjoy. I know you're a great storyteller, Wes, and I would love to hear um, you talk a little bit about your, your, where you came from to, to where you are currently. That's, that's a loaded question, man. Um, <laughs> so, uh, my story, um, my story really is, is not like too many, unfortunately it's, it's not a, a rarity. Um, I was abandoned by my biological father when I was one and then by my biological mother when I was six and a half. I went through a lot of abuse in my young childhood uh, my stepfather that came into my life very quickly after my dad left was a very abusive man. I, I, abuse is kind of a, I don't know, I, it's it's a smaller word, I guess, when you when you step back and look at what my brothers and, and sister and I endured. Uh, it was really torture uh, is, is kind of the, the, the word that I can come up with. And, and that's not to take away from anything that anyone else has gone through. It was just the actions that were taken. Uh, we were physically abused, um, mentally and verbally abused, and then also sexually abused. And, and the abuse was very torturesque, uh, everything from being hung upside down on a clothesline and told that if we told anyone, he would slit our throats to being tied up uh, to a chain link fence, uh, eating, you know, being tied up to a doghouse and eating dog food, uh, being put in a circle of, of his friends and brothers and um, obviously not being clothed and trying to get us drunk and see if we would get aroused by Playboy magazines, things like that. So, so my early childhood was pretty dark. Um, it was full of a lot of different styles of that. And then at six and a half, and, and during that I was, I was a, you know, I was a little kid trapped in this world of hell and I was just trying to do anything I could to get out of it. Uh, so, I mean, I would throw fits, I would scream, I would make threats, I would run away. Um, at four and a half years old, I tried to kill myself. 
which is kind of what started the process of the medical community getting involved in my life because it was like, whoa, four and a half year old trying to kill himself, you know, must be something wrong with his brain. Um, not a conversation of there must be something wrong with his environment. And so that kind mm-hmm. of perpetuated the, my life and I started going on drugs and antidepressants and, you know, all these different things. I was getting labeled with all this stuff. My brain was, you know, not stable. I mean, all these different things were happening. And, and so, uh, finally at six and a half years old, my mom took me to a hospital and she just never came back. Um, and that's when my journey started to get, I mean, real, I mean, obviously that was real, but now I'm, I'm alone. Uh, now I'm in this kind of, you know, what do I do? And so for about a year, year and a half, I bounced in and out of different places. They tried to get my mom to take me back. There was all these different things that were happening. And, and, and in that the doctors were also saying like, this guy's, this little boy is, is done. Like he's, Mm -hmm. he's not, he's not going to make it. Um, there's been too much going on and, you know, his dad left and his mom, and then he was born into this, uh, family that, uh, you know, my mom and my dad weren't probably the best, uh, position in their lives to have children. And so, you know, they weren't, they weren't stopping things that were harmful on, on one side before I was born, 11 months before I was born, my brother, um, who I talk about very rarely, uh, Zebediah, he, um, he was the smallest baby ever born at the time mm-hmm. and he could fit in the palm of your hand. Uh, and he lived, I believe for like 30 or 31 days very emotional for my mother. I mean, that would just, just any woman out there who's ever had a baby or any, you know, uh, anyone who has siblings. I mean, just imagine one of your siblings not being in your life. I mean, it was very, very, very difficult for her. Um, and then of course, 11 months later I was born. And then 11 months after I was born, my little brother was born who has mental handicaps. Um, he actually has, you know, difficult times, tying his own shoes and things like that. He's grown immensely, but, uh, mm. his IQ never really developed past, I think like an eighth grader. And then as soon as he got there, it started actually degressing. And, you know, uh, so I think now he's around like the third or fourth grade. He's, he's one of the most amazing spirits on the planet, but, yeah. uh, he just, he was that. So for me to be stuck in the middle of those two things, it was just a miracle that I was, was functioning at all. So the doctors are basically like seven and a half years old drug him up, put him in a boy's home and let's hope he doesn't kill someone. And that was really my life, you know, penance. And so through that, you know, really came into uh, a journey. Um, at eight, eight years old, um, I was finally into a home that I thought was going to be this amazing experience. And, uh, and six months after getting into the home, the, the woman who adopted me, who I call mom, she's been in my life forever. Um, but, uh, since that moment, but, she became disabled. She became permanently disabled and she couldn't use her legs some days. She had fibromyalgia, uh, which now we've, we've made a great advancements in, but in the eighties it was new and no one knew what the heck it was. Um, she developed fibromyalgia. Some days she couldn't use her legs. Some days she couldn't use her arms. Some days she couldn't move her head. Um, it was just different, different things. And she was a very, very successful woman. She was a vice president, uh, administrative role at the VA hospital. And, um, she, you know, a woman in the eighties that was, that was high up in administration was, was very rare. And so she was, uh, you know, she, she was a powerhouse and that was all stripped away from her for her physical, uh, her physical abilities. And in that moment, that's when I kind of gave up on adults. That's when I was like, man, adults are just idiots. Like they don't know how to do shit. Like they, they don't know how to take care of their kids. They don't know, you know, anything about us. Like, and then there was some, there was some real, there was a real reality, uh, in this situation that, 
she had never illegally adopted me, and that meant that uh, at any given time, the state could come in and reassess and take me away. She was just a guardian. And if the state came in and saw, you know, that she was in that situation and her finances had changed, she ended up losing her job. I mean, all kinds of things happened. And we went on a whole battle for about 18 years um, for her. And so, you know, if anything had happened there, like I could be ripped out of this home and and I was starting to to love her and feel comfortable. And and so I remember sitting out on my tire swing and and just kind of being like, you know, this is this is asininely ridiculous. Um, there has to be a better way for me to live my life. There has to be a way that I can control my life. And money, I knew money was a root of control. Uh, I didn't know every aspect of it, but at this time in my life, like I knew money was a root of control. Uh, that was kind of the excuse that I was abandoned is that there wasn't enough money to feed me kind of thing, which is, you know, fabrication. But I still, I still was like, you know, it's money. I've got to find a way to make money. Mm -hmm. And that day I was sitting on my tire swing and, and my, my biological mom, who I'll refer to as that, you know, she hadn't been in my life for a few years. Now I have this mom, mom, the the woman I call mom. So everyone is not confused anymore. Um, she, uh, she was a green thumb and we had about a half an acre, acre worth of land that was full of an English style rose garden and peonies and lilacs and tulips and all this stuff. And I remember mm-hmm. looking around at all of these beautiful flowers and every time we went grocery shopping, uh, my mother would buy flowers. And I was like, why would you buy flowers if we have like an entire yard of flowers? That seems like the most ridiculous thing ever. And then it dawned on me that, wait, we have this gorgeous yard. Like people stop and take pictures of our home um, just because it's so pretty. Like we've been in magazines, all this stuff. Like if we have this kind of a property and we buy flowers, what about like people who just have like a tree in their front yard? And so I ran into the house, grabbed a pair of scissors and started whacking away at flowers, got on my BMX bike and (laughs) I was gone. And this was about like eight in the morning and I was gone all day. And, and just so it's really clear. I mean, this was in the eighties. Uh, I was a big BMXer. It wasn't odd for me to jump on my bike and and go to the track and, you know, be gone until it was dark. It wasn't like a weird thing. So, um, I got back and, um, my mom was sitting on her bed and she had just gotten off the phone and, and, uh, talking, I think to either medical or, or a bill collector, one of the two. And, um, and her arms are in her slings and she was starting to kind of get a little sensation back in her hands. So she was, you know, just sitting on her bed, just kind of doing that. And I came in and sat next down, sat down next to her and started just pulling out all these little, you know, 10, $20 bills from every orifice that a kid could stuff money into my shoes, my socks, my, my pockets, you know, whatever. And, Mm -hmm. and I start putting it on her lap and she just starts crying. And I learned later that the reason that she first started crying is she was like, Oh man, what, what have you done? I mean, at this point I, I'd, uh, you know, almost burnt down a convenience store. I'd locked kids out of school. I'd sent a couple of kids to the hospital from bullying. Like, I mean, I, like I said, I was a troubled little boy. So whenever something odd happened, it wasn't always like I never got the benefit of the doubt. It was always like, oh crap, who am I apologizing to now? Mm-hmm. And so I learned that later that she was crying. Like, I just can't handle this. Like, you know, who'd you steal this money from? But that aggravated me because here she is crying and I'm like, come on, I'm trying to help. And so I told her what I had done and told her that I'd picked her flowers and that I'd, that I'd, uh, gone and sold them door to door and we counted the money and it was $500. And she just basically wiped the tears from her face and said, go out and sell more flowers. 
And that started my entrepreneurial career. And I never looked back. I mean, I've had amazing successes like that day and many other days like that. And, you know, I've had $300,000 days. I mean, it's, it's been, it's been a great journey. I've also, you know, lost millions of dollars, you know, so I've, I've been on both sides of, of the, the win and the loss. And so that's what started my entrepreneurial career. And then there was a whole personal career or a personal, you know, exploration that, that ended up happening. And, and I've, I've definitely, my whole life has been, has been kind of this preparation for what I'm doing now. But those early years were, were very traumatic and they were also very, very empowering. So, you know, that, that just kind of gives you an idea of where, where it all started. And then, and then from, from that point, like, how did you, how did you move forward into like literally starting like an, an incorporated company or like a sole proprietor company? Like, how did you, where did you move from there? You were 16 at the time, right? Yeah, I was 16 at the time. And, uh, um, and well, I guess repeat the question of what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah. So fr- from that point, like what, how did you, how did you then move forward? Like, where did you go from there to starting your own company and, uh, and where did you progress from that point forward? Well, that, you know, at eight and a half, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm selling flowers. I realized eight and a half years old. Yeah. And I realized at eight and a half, like years old that I'm not going to have all these flowers forever. And so I started looking for verticals, you know, I mean, I didn't call them that, but I started looking for more ways to make more money. And, um, I had a client base and I knew that if I could somehow turn that client base into something else, didn't have a limitation, uh, you know, a renewable, you know, a renewable source of income, mm-hmm. um, it'd be smarter. And so I started doing that and we started doing everything from washing windows to planting trees, to mowing lawns, uh, washing cars, washing cars was big. Um, and that was a really easy switch because 90% of our purchasers were housewives. Right. Um, and so I lived in a pretty affluent community and, and things were going well in that, the, the neighborhood that I lived in uh, at this time. And, um, I would notice that, uh, you know, I'd go sell these flowers or I'd go do something and, and the, there would be a minivan or a, a station wagon in the driveway and it was always like dirty. And <laughs> then, then there'd be a BMW or something that would pull in at like five o'clock and it was always like clean. And so I thought, I'll just, you know, there's, there's something wrong here, right? There's something wrong. And what I learned is that I was, I was using emotional and psychological sales tactics, but I didn't know this at the time. And so when I would go middle of the day, I would, you know, start having a conversation with these women and then find out, you know, Hey, your car's kind of dirty. Like the other car that comes here is always clean. Why, why don't you take that car and go get it cleaned? Oh, I'm so busy. I got to take Susie to ballet. I got to do this. And you know, Jeff is, you know, little Jeff is sick and you know, I just haven't had time and da da da. And I said, Oh, well, I can just wash it for you in your driveway. And, uh, you know, that would create a conversation and then boom, I'm washing cars and driveways and hiring neighbor kids. And, and my, my mom jokes now because there was a, there was a point that our front lawn was like a, a used car sales parking lot. Um, (laughs) because we, we eventually, and, and she was, you know, she was, uh, very strict about anything I did. Uh, even like the flowers, once we started taking it seriously, she made me bundle them and, you know, we had to tie them with ribbon and like we had to put paper around them. So, I mean, it was, there was never like kid shortcuts, right? So when I went to clean the cars and wash the cars, she would make me like redo them if it wasn't up to really? like a professional standard. Oh yeah. Wow. I mean, she made me reinvest in my own business. I had to, 
I mean, at first I was just using all her materials and then she's like, no, like you got to go and buy. And so I had to learn how to buy bulk, bulk towels. And I had to learn how to, you know, set up hoses and I had to learn, you know, where to buy bulk cleaning supplies and commercial licensing and tax IDs. I mean, she was serious. And I mean, I look back now and I'm like, holy crap, it's amazing. So, I mean, there was never any, you know, uh, never any like shortcuts in it. And that just led to that by the time I was 16 years old, I was financially self-sufficient and I was able wow. to do whatever I needed and wanted. And, and, you know, her and I were able to stay together and, and then we just kept, you know, pressing forward. And like any amazing entrepreneur, I had these dreams and these visions and these ideas and grandeur. And some of them like flopped like big time, like mm-hmm. massive <laughs> and others, you know, took off, uh, beautifully. And, other ideas that I that I had and didn't take action on, you know, I, I look back and I'm like, dang it, you know, like I, we've had a, a buddy of mine and I had an idea for basically Facebook, um, the same concept. I had another idea of basically Google Local, uh, which now it's integrated into into Google search algorithm. But when Google first came out, you type in pizza and you would get whoever SEO'd it up the best. And now you type in pizza and it pulls up your geolocation and then you know, pulls, pulls where you are and tells you the pizza around you. You don't have to type in, you know, pizza in New York city. Now you can just be in New York city and type pizza and it does it for you. Yeah. But that wasn't always the case. So we had this concept of, of localizing search. Um, and we played with that and, you know, we just, we didn't push it forward. Now I'm like, dang it. You know, so every entrepreneur is going to go through this cycle of like all these different emotions and everything. What's critical is, is what I tell young entrepreneurs is never take shortcuts um, never, I mean, regardless of how painful it is, never take shortcuts because those shortcuts are going to ultimately be the down of your company. I mean, it doesn't mean like, I remember when I put my first ever office, um, together and, uh, it was two filing cabinets and a, uh, old, old, uh, door, you know? So, I mean, it's not about like, going and spending gobs of money, which drives me nuts with all these startup companies, but it's, it's about, um, customer service. It's about quality of your product. It's about all these different things. All the things that we see 98% of the time in companies like Apple, uh, they just, they're never the first to market and that's okay. Uh, A lot of people give them crap for that, but Mm. that's okay. They don't ever cut shortcuts in trying to create the best sustainable product possible and uh, look at what that's done for them, $80 billion in their bank account. So, wow. yeah. you know, I mean, it's just, it's its that kind of attitude that the younger that you can start that, the better for the overarching principle of your success in your, your career and also your life. We take a lot of shortcuts in life mm-hmm. uh, thinking that that's going to like health, like being healthy, right? Like take all this powder and all these supplements and all these steroids and you're going to quote unquote look good. It doesn't mean you're healthy. Um, you know, so it's kind of the same thing we sometimes look for business is that like, Oh, I'll do a Facebook ad campaign and you know, I'll be rich. And it's like, no, it doesn't quite work like that. doesn't quite work (laughs) like that. Exactly. So sometimes, you know, Hey, sometimes, you know, you can, you can beat the universe, but, uh, I mean, you're talking one out of a hundred thousand, one out of a million, not, not the average. Speaking of the universe, you know, you, I remember, you know, I was listening to another podcast you had done with uh, Addicted to Success with Joel Brown, and you were talking a lot, a lot about these uh, kind of, un- the universe kind of aligning with your journey and, and, and things kind of working out for you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's, you know, uh, everybody gets all like 
uncomfortable with this conversation uh, to some level. You know, you've got mm-hmm. those that believe in God that want to oh. say that's it, and then you got those that don't believe in God and say that you know it's all fate, and then you have those that just you know say that life is life. Uh, but history teaches us well, whatever you want to believe in. History teaches. I'm talking about your own personal history teaches you that when you look back and start analyzing certain circumstances, you start seeing a pattern. You start seeing kind of this trajectory that something was trying to push you on, right? Like there's something that was trying to get you into one direction or the other or whatever it may be. You met people and all these things. The more conscious you are of that um, during that, that whole experience of it actually happening, the more you can tap into the potential of that energy, the potential of that direction. So what I mean by that is here I am going through my life and all the personal stuff and, and all these, you know, all the entrepreneurial things. And now looking back on that, I'm like, holy shit, if I just would have understood, like if I would have had the knowledge to understand what I was going through at those times were actually leading me to, you know, this great vision, this great direction, this great purpose that I'm now on, mm-hmm. how much sooner could I have got on to the right path? How much faster could have things actually come together? But more importantly, how much less pain would I have had to have personally gone through? And I think this is kind of this balancing act. You have to have enough that you understand. It's like um, the secret to happiness is sad, right? Like, because you don't understand what happiness is if you don't understand its polar opposite, you know, sadness or loneliness or whatever. And so I think to some level, you have to understand a little bit of tragedy, a little bit of pain, a little bit of remorse, a little bit of all these things so that you can have this this humbling, you know, experience of understanding what's great. Mm-hmm. And when you look at any entrepreneur's bell curve, you know, I don't care if you're talking about Gary Vaynerchuk or Richard Branson or, or you know, I don't care, name a name, you can see these, these kind of these ups and these downs that they go through and they're all different, but it's, it's, uh, it's all about, you know, putting together uh, a, um, your own history right now. Like I always tell people that I work with, I say, okay, stop talking about, you know, all the horrible things or all the things you haven't done right or all the things that haven't gone right. Right now, just stop and say, okay, what's the history? Like, what are things that have happened to you? Like, take a personal assessment. You know, I did a timeline on my website a few days ago of just kind of like being like, here's the timeline of my life. Very simplistic, very simple. And I think it's an exercise I'm going to start having all of my uh, students do is just timeline out your life and just kind of see you know, year by year, situation by situation, what was going on? What, what is, what was happening to you? Where were you? What were the, the, the landmarks of that year, the landmarks of that month? You know, maybe there were five landmarks in 1987 for you, and, and maybe there was only three in 1988, but what were they and identify them and then just then come into the presence, the present and see like, how did all of those things build me to, to where I am now? And then start having the conversation about like, okay, now I understand where I need to go or now I see why this happened or this person came in my life or this and this and this. And then your subconscious gets to start communicating with your conscious mind and, and you may, you know, you may have this grand idea or this concept and, and you've met all these people, but you can't figure out how, you know, so-and-so ties into what you're trying to do. You do something like this and all of a sudden you see like, oh my gosh, like, this makes so much sense. I got to go out and I've got to reach out to, you know, Bob over here because that's going to help me get, you know, to this place. So I think we, we focus too much on other people's histories, too much on others' stories. That's great for inspiration. That's great for education. That's great for whatever, but for actual application of, especially like a young entrepreneur who's just kind of like floating in this, like, 
space of I'm not a hundred percent committed or I'm not a hundred percent, you know, realizing mm-hmm. my true potential or where I should be going. It's because they're comparing themselves to something else. What they need to do is they just need to look at their own history. I hope that makes sense. It's it's kind of a, a deep, you know, thought process. But um You're talking about the it was uh post that you had, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'll, I'll post the notes for for those listening on the on myo.ca for the uh, for for the, to, for the link to the article. Yeah, but I mean, it's just it's, it's I guess you know without me rambling forever, it's it's stop comparing yourself to everybody else and start mm-hmm. looking at, at start looking at your your own history and what the universe and where the universe is kind of taking you because there is a direction there there is energy there 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 are things and mis- there are you know, miscues that we, that we tell ourselves and it, that's not what was supposed to happen. And, and it doesn't mean that like, oh, you made this mistake and you did this and this. And so you're forever off your path. I think that it's, it's all part of the trajectory. It's all part of getting to where you truly can be. And the brain is a very, very powerful, you know, organ and the, the, the energy of the earth is real. I mean, if we could tap into the core of, of the earth, we'd never have an energy uh, problem ever again. Um, so, <laughs> you know, there's an energy there that's keeping us floating in this Cosmo, you know, universe, like we're here and there's, there's that. And our brains are so powerful and there's so much that it knows that we don't, right? Like, I mean, tell me how to beat your heart right now. I mean, anybody tell me right now how your brain is beating your heart and telling your heart to, to beat and, and tell me right now, you know, how your brain is telling your body to digest food and to move cells around. I mean, there's so much going on that we're not even conscious of. And Mm -hmm. so, thinking about that in an energetic form and in kind of a purpose form really starts to open your mind up to, you know, you are the person that has all the keys to create success. It's not me. It's not Richard Branson. It's not, you know, Paul Harvey or any inspirational voice that you hear on a radio or a podcast or, a, or, you know, uh, or something. It's you. I mean, it's, it's you that's going to decide the success of your life. And so look at your look at your history, understand where you've come from and who you are and where you can go. And then look at the, these landmarks and finding out who's been instrumental, what events have been instrumental. And then, then from there piece together the master plan of attacking your passion and your goal. Mm-hmm. You have a quote that really relates to, to what you're saying. And I, I wrote it down cause I actually wanted to talk to you about it. And it, it says the ultimate life is inside of you and when you release that that is when life goes from this struggle to this adventure and i want to ask you how can people find that inside of them what what is your recommendation for people to go inside of them to to search search for that honesty um i know that sounds like you know cheesy but uh we're not honest uh, that's uh, understanding the code number one right yeah exactly i've got a whole code to this thing so yeah you're you're right there good job um but it's it's honesty. It's it is really taking a hundred percent transparent, clear, uh, non-judgmental uh, evaluation and inventory of who you are. And and what that means is is that it's not it's not this like be honest with your fellow man. All that. I'm talking about like really getting honest with the elements of of you, things that make you up and the dark and the light. I, I, I'm really tired of hearing this conversation about, you know, um, 
you know, you can hide your dark by feeding your light. And and there's the parable of the, the good wolf and the bad wolf or light wolf, dark wolf, whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, Very and the guy, yeah. And the, the Indian chief says, you know, the little boy asks, you know, which one wins or whatever. And the Indian chief says the one you feed, which again, I get it. And there's a great podcast about it. And you know, he's one of my good friends, Eric. I, I totally dig that conversation except for the fact that that is not being honest. You need to be honest and understand, you know, the things about you that maybe would make other people a little uncomfortable or maybe make you uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that they have to control you. And I think that that's where we, as human beings, it's hard for us to to really be honest. And when somebody says something honest to us, like, you're just a jerk, you know, and you're like, you know, immediately you come back with this, I'm not a jerk, you know, I, you know, maybe you are like, you know, take a step back and maybe you are a jerk. Maybe that's, and, and, and again, now that you've identified that and you're honest with that, now what do you do with that? How do you repackage that? I mean, very, very simply put, uh, for me, I'll be, be vulnerable with your audience is that a piece of my dark wool for darkness, whatever you want to call it, um, is I, you know, how do I say this, um, without freaking your whole audience out? I'm a very, yeah, I'm a very, I'm a very aggressive individual. Um, let me just put it this way. If I like totally let go of all, you know, human ambition and wasn't, you know, really caring and you mess with my wife or my daughter or myself or whatever, like, just look out, you know, like I, I have that inside of me. I have an amazing amount of adrenaline. I have an amazing, uh, lack of, of fear, uh, when it comes to putting myself in a situation, I was voted, you know, in high school, the most likely to die in a bar fight. Um, not of the guy being in the fight, but the guy separating the two people, which was, which was actually really weird because, um, now that I understand myself really fully, I'm like, yeah, but I could have been the guy that was in the bar fight, you know, like it's just, it's a very there. And when I, you know, started finding out my, uh, my history and found out who my father was and everything and looked at him and his life, it was like, Oh, you know, maybe this is a DNA thing, or maybe this is, you know, something that's, that's, uh, kind of encoded. Cause my brother seemed to have the same aggression. My dad has the same aggression. The, mm-hmm. the thing that happened though, is I said, okay, so now I understand this. Now I know that I have this inside of me what do I do with it? Like, obviously I can't go out and just like start beating people up because, you know, they're wearing a color that I don't like, you know, like yellow or something. Um, but, uh, what, how can I turn this into something that can amplify my light side, which one of my pieces of my light side is I'm very, very focused and caring, uh, to children. Like I, I really want to help children. And there's a deep reason for that. A, my childhood and B, Uh, I talked about being abandoned and all that. My siblings weren't abandoned for many, many years after me. So they went through a lot more hell uh, than I did for a lot. I mean, we all went through the same amount of hell, but they were enduring it for 16 years instead of six years, you know, so I couldn't save them. I couldn't help them. So I have this kind of like inherent coding to help people. And then I have this insane purpose for helping people. And then I have this insane aggression. And so I'm like, how do I package that? into my passion and ah, here's what I'm going to do. And that gives me the ability to, to really amplify my light instead of just focusing on hiding my dark, which is really the key to that whole question that you asked is how do you, you know, live the passion? How do you find that? It's understanding both of your situation, you know, both your light, both your dark, both your positives, your negatives, your weaknesses, your strengths, whatever, however you want to look at it. And, and really 
not looking at it in those traditional forms and looking at it as a, as a combination, right? Like I'm a big football fan. Uh, imagine having the number one wide receiver, the number one quarterback, and the number one running back. That sounds fantastic. That's like, holy crap, that would make an amazing quote-unquote football team. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that football team is the Denver Broncos, and that football team has not won a Super Bowl. Uh, it's not about that, right? Now go and look at the Patriots. Now go and look at the Seattle Seahawks, right? Just our last two teams that were in the NF- in the uh, Super Bowl here in the United States. The Patriots have a quarterback who's amazing, no, no, no doubt. But outside of the quarterback, most people can't name anyone that are on the Patriots team. Um, and every year it's different. Now go look at the Seattle Seahawks. Kind of similar. They've got a good quarterback. He, well, he's an okay quarterback. Statistically, he's pretty good. But, you know, he's nothing like a Peyton Manning as mm-hmm. far as statistics. And then go ahead and look at, uh, uh, you know, Marshawn Lynch. Like, that's about, you know, and then there's the, the, you know, some of the safeties that are pretty loud. But when then you start looking at their full team, they have a balance. They have an amazing offensive line. They have a great defense. They've they've offset some of the weaknesses of of their teams uh, with some of the strengths, and and they've created these amazing teams. No different than in your own mind. You can be an amazing writer and be grammatically you know fantastic and know how to do you know uh, know how to to do sentence structures and and do all of that. But your stories are aren't real. They're not raw because you're you're refusing to go into the realness of who you are because you're afraid. Really what it comes down to is you're afraid of it yourself and you use the excuse that you're afraid that other people will judge you or hurt you or whatever. Uh, you know, so simple things like that. I mean, writing and telling stories. I mean, that we're in a world right now where that, if I could say, what's the one thing I want to hire somebody for? What's the one, you know, company that can dominate the marketplace? It's, it's those that understand how to story tell, not how to sell, that, that's a misconception. It's those that know how to story tell. And again, going back to Apple, Apple is a beautiful star- storytelling company. I mean, you just, you become infatuated by their products because of the story that that product tells, not because of what the product does. Because like I said, nine times out of 10, everything that the Apple product does, Samsung or, or you know, Sony was doing six months before. It's, it's not, the innovation is not in the actual technology. The innovation is in the storytelling and so again, when you're, when you're in tune, if you're a solo entrepreneur and you're trying to tell a story, you're trying to sell a product, if you're hiding from certain pieces of who you are and certain core of who you are, but yet you're trying to tell this passion project, this thing that you're trying to create, you know, some amazing thing for, you're missing out on 50% of the, of the team, right? Like, you know, you know you're, you're going to get sacked every single time you drop back to, to throw a pass, no matter how good you are as a passer, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to get sacked every time because there's no offensive line, you know? So you, you really have to look at the enti- that entire conversation so that you put together the best package, the best team inside of yourself. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Th- that was a perfect analogy. Thank you for clearing that up. I was, I was thinking about, it, I was like really trying to understand what you're saying. I was contemplating about it and that kind of made it crystal clear. I, I totally get it now. Can you can you talk a little bit about uh, understanding the code and uh, the the three principles of that, which is uh, living in honesty, which you touched on earlier, uh, true healing, and standing in power. Yeah. So you know, a lot of people have asked me. You know, kind of guess the obvious question. Um, I don't see it as obvious, but everyone else does. Is is how right? Like, how have you gone from this childhood to being? you know, a successful human being, let alone, you know, the entrepreneurial side of my life Mm -hmm. and the successes that I've had there. So 
um, I kind of stepped back and I said, I don't know. Like I didn't have some eloquent, you know, eloquent response and I'd never really like taken a long time to process, you know, what, what the answer would even be. And then, um, but I, about three years ago, I just started getting inundated with people asking me and begging me and I was to, to help them. And I just kind of said, you know what, I gotta, I've got to look at, again, go back to my history, analyze who I am, um, on this aspect and figure out how do I replicate that? How do I package mm-hmm. that for other people? Yeah. And so I came back to, um, understanding three principles that I use over and over and over and over again in order to create this, uh, you know, the results. Um, and those three principles are, are very simple. It's honesty, which we talked about. And one of the things that, that I realized is that when you start talking about, you know, this kind of um, thing, like honesty or whatever, you've got to redefine uh, these words that we've used over and over and over again. So I'll give you the definition of all three of them here in a minute. But the first thing is, is honesty. And then the second is this concept of healing. You know, we, we as a society are always looking for, for something to heal us, something to, you know, an antibiotic to take care of this or a painkiller to take care of this or an antidepressant to take care of the way we feel inside. We're always kind of looking for, you know, that, heal that that to be healed and the problem is is that all of those things are superficial all of those things are temporary i mean even cancer we think we heal it and then it comes back and mm-hmm. you know so what is real healing so we go through that whole concept and then the last is is this really miscon you know misconstrued concept of of existence and that is is that somebody else has to help you somebody else has to to take it away from you somebody else becomes your power and we get really wrapped up that in that in the self help world and in you know the personal development world we get wrapped up thinking that uh that we need to, you know, have motivational quotes every day. We need to have, there's nothing wrong with that, but we get really wrapped up into it. And so we start, yeah, for sure. uh, we start needing it, which is taking us out of this, this position of power, which really, when we go through it, it's actually that we're hoping that this is going to be it, right? Like we're hoping that this conference that I go to is going to fix all my problems. This, this podcast I listen to is going to give me the clarity. You, you know, you start being very dependent. Uh, on that. And that's, that's like being in a codependent relationship, right? You're in a codependent sure. relationship with Insta, Insta, Instagram, you know, posts and different things like that. So I go through these three words, you know, starting with honesty and redefining them and giving new principles. And the definition in, in my world for honesty is to accept the transparent reality of your core identity. Transparent is very, very key to that. Like that's understanding both sides. Like we talked about, it means, you know, really, I have a pledge that that uh, my students will say, which is, I have identified my unobstructed reality and have found clarity in my existence. And I guess I say pledge; it's just like a a thing that I have them, you know, really believe and and talk to themselves about. Is that I have an identity, or excuse me, I have identified my unobstruct unobstructed reality and have found the the clarity in my existence. That's huge. You know, when people can step back and say, I have an unobstructed reality of who I am. I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing, I'm, I'm not putting superficial anything in front of it. Like it is just completely clear of who I am. Mm-hmm. Then, I mean, ask, ask, ask somebody on the street, like just, and I've done this, so that's why I'm telling you to do it. Just like walk up to a total stranger and say, Hey, do you, do you really have any idea as to why you're here? Like, I mean, 
A, you're going to get some weird looks. Um, <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and and uh, I think I need to do a video on this because it's actually really cool because For when sure, you tap man. that Definitely right should. person, you get into some really deep conversation. Really? Because it's, it's a trigger point. Mm-hmm. It's like people are wandering the streets wondering, what the hell am I doing here? Like, why am I with him? I, it would be really fun to have telepathic abilities, I think. You'd have to be able to turn them on and off. Oh, but for sure. <laughs> to, be, to be able to listen to conversations because I b- truly believe that a massive majority of our day is spent with the, with the type of question of why. Why am I doing this? Why am I with her? Why am I with him? Why am I here? Sure. You know, so yeah. just being able to hear the global conversation of, of why. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we could shut that off and the global conversation is now a complete understanding of their existence, of their purpose, of where they're going. How much more direct would the world be? How much less BS would we have to deal with? How much more would we get done? How much more time could we enjoy for other things? So that's really the core of the honest honest module is like understanding your existence. You cannot understand your existence if you don't understand yourself. And you can't understand yourself if you don't understand all of you, right? Mm-hmm. So we move into healing. And healing is something that, in, that uh, that really is is just a position play for you. This is really personal, and it, it and we're talking about emotional healing here, not necessarily uh, physical healing. Um, but it's it, it's not. I mean, don't get caught up in the fact that I say the word emotional and that shouldn't apply to your business. Ninety percent of the reason that you're successful or you're failing in your business is is your outlook on that business, you know. So and yourself, you know. So emotions play a massive part in your success, and they also play a massive part in your your self defining limitations. So healing means in our world is that you have ultimate control of one's life journey. So you're in control of that existence. You're in control of where you're going, and it it. Can, it further means that you're no longer being held by any form of worthlessness, fear, hate, or remorse. You know, we've all heard the quote that everything you want is on the other side of fear. Well, one thing we don't talk hardly enough about in the entrepreneurial space is worthlessness. You know, we just, we don't. We don't get into the conversation of, of worth. What am I worth? I mean, how many times, maybe, I don't know, I, maybe some of your listeners haven't got this deep in their careers yet, but how many times it will happen to you that you hire a consultant or a mentor and you will tell them, you know, let's say you're a service-based business, dollar for hour uh, business, Mm -hmm. uh, which can be fine, but I would ask everyone to find a way to not do that as long as possible um, because you will burn yourself out. But, uh, you know, let's say that you sit down with a mentor and you'll tell them, you know, you're $200 an hour. I guarantee you any mentor in the world is going to tell you you're not, you're not charging enough. Uh, It's not enough for what you're doing. And then you have this conversation in your head, whether you believe, whether you're like, yeah, you're right, mentor, as you're driving back away or whatever, you're having this conversation in your head being like, I can't charge anymore. Like, do they know who I am? Like, there's no way I can charge more than that. This guy's crazy. Like, you know, and then for the 50% of you who will ignore it and, and say the guy's crazy or gal's crazy. And then the three or 4% of you that will actually, you know, take a risk and do it those three or 4% will see that, wait a minute, people will pay more. It's all about brand positioning. It's all about, you know, putting it out there. And so how many times does worthlessness stop you in your business from getting the worth or the value of your service? I mean, I'm, I remember when I first started doing consulting and marketing, I was 17 or 18 bucks an hour, right? And I was 13 or 13 years old. Mm. I mean, that seemed ridiculous. Um, 
and there was there was all these different things and and now you know I'll spend uh, someone will spend twenty thirty thousand dollars with me to sit for one day um, and go through their business and and you know do things and and I get emails all the time of how that was amazing or how that was fantastic or whatever and so and again my life isn't that anymore so I guess I should say not now but you know at, at a mm-hmm. period of my time when I was when I was really going forward. And I have friends who are a hundred thousand dollars, you know, for those kind of days. So you have to get rid of that worthlessness. And then the word fear, like we get it, we've overheard fear, but like eliminating fears. Um, a lot of fear is driven by your worth again. So that's why it's first you're no longer held by worthlessness. Then you're no longer held by fear. And then hate, you know, hate is something that just just slows people down too quickly. Uh, it, it they get too stuck on it. Um, they get too focused on, you know, the people that have screwed them in their lives and how they're going to prove that person wrong or they're going to do all this stuff or they or they hate doing a task. Um, they hate doing things. Hate just is a real like you can have the best worth in the world and no fear. And then hate can be that freaking roadblock that just stops you or speed bump that slows you down. I mean, every single time. And then remorse is is something that you just have to ethically get rid of. And what I mean by that is, you, you know, if you're intentionally hurting people, then you can't just like don't have remorse because that means you're just a dick. Um, but remorse is something of you've made mistakes, you've not done everything right. And how many times do you sit around and do that? I, I just launched a video mm-hmm. that uh, <laughs> it's gone viral. Um, I was very bold in it. Um, I, I made a proclamation to the world about doing something and we can talk about it here in a minute. But um, I, it was awesome. You know, we've had 280 something thousand people share it, uh, on Facebook or something. I don't know all the numbers, something ridiculous. And, uh, yeah. And it, and it's, it's done really, really, really well. And, uh, I'll post a link got, on the, uh, on the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, we've, we've had all this stuff. And, and when I did the video, I was kind of in this very interesting mindset. I was doing it really for my audience. I was not doing it for the world. So I was speaking as if you knew me. So if you watch this video and you've never heard me, it's, it's a different feeling. And, um, but anyway, so I started getting hate like you could not believe. Wow. I was called the next Hitler. Um, I was called a child uh, molester. Um, I, I mean, just all kinds of things. They went after my daughter on Facebook, which is when I you know, really started caring and, and dealing with them. But uh, they hacked into our website. They shut my website down. Um, they blocked, they, they got enough, you know, uh, they were pro haters. So these guys wow. knew what they were doing. This is insane. That, yeah, that's a lot, they, man. They blocked us on Facebook. So for four days we could not post our URL on Facebook because Facebook identified us as a, uh, as a unsafe site. Um, and I had to get with Facebook and get that all taken care of. And they did it on a Friday. So, uh, I'm going to tell anyone out there who's not a web programmer, uh, <laughs> when you're, website goes down on Friday, uh, that kind of sucks because you're entire like most web programmers aren't, aren't, you know, jumping up and down to work on a, on a Saturday and Sunday. So, uh, we just got it back up yesterday, like around noon or something. I posted it on my Facebook when we got back up so I could look, but somewhere around noon or one o'clock, we finally got it back up. But you know, these guys were pros and, um, and it didn't really bother me the hate side, but then I started getting some kind of emails from people that were like, what you said really hurt me. It really, you know, affected me. And, and, you know, look, I consider myself a strong person. I consider myself able to handle this, but this on Saturday, actually it was like, yeah, it was probably Saturday around four or 5 AM. Mm-hmm. Um, I really started just having this, like this, this 
guilt, this remorse of like, I, I wasn't putting this video out to hurt anyone. Like I, that wasn't my goal. Like my goal was, my goal is to, to really help people. And, and the proclamation I made was to, to rid people of something so horrible in their lives. So how, you know, why are they doing this? And then Sunday, you know, because of that Sunday was just kind of this day where I just was like, you know, in this weird funk of like, I should pull the video down. I should take it off. This isn't what I meant. Like, I'm going to reshoot another video and tell people, you know, like, no, you don't get it. Like, da, 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 da. And around like six o'clock, I was sitting in my car and uh, sitting in my driveway and I live up on top of a mountain and um, I heard these birds and, you know, just nature and, and, and I just took a second. I was sitting in the car and I was like, what the f- are you doing, Chapman? Like, are you kidding me? Like, do you, do you understand what you teach people? Do you understand what you're doing? Like, get your ass out of the car. Stop being, a, you know, and this is how I talk to myself, you know, stop being a little wuss and go out and fucking do something with your life. Like, what are you doing here? And so I did. I stood up and I went on a walk with my um, beautiful bride and and I told her, you know, that like, okay, you know, I'm done with that remorse. And so, uh, again, understanding that, and I crushed it. I mean, I literally just said, look, I, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to hurt anyone. I'm not going to feel remorse, you know, in, in a way, cause I wasn't trying to hurt somebody. Now, do I accept that I could have done the video differently and that I maybe could have spoken to a larger audience? Yes, but it wasn't, I didn't expect this thing to go viral. I didn't expect this thing to take off. And then later that night, I had a buddy of mine who I consider a mentor call and we walked through the video. We walked through the plan and I was in such this, you know, amazing space mentally of understanding that, you know, my worth was still intact, that the fear of, 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 you know, having all these things happen, you know, I I wasn't going to go there. I didn't hate the haters. That's not what it was about. But the Mm. big thing was, it was this remorse was holding me back. So, I was able to let that go and say, look, I, I wasn't trying to hurt anyone. So let's move on. Let's, let's go past this. And now because of going past this, you know, um, the CBN network has just reached out to us today. CBS reached out to us. NBC's reached out to us. All these news channels are reaching out to us. And also some very powerful individuals in the world are reaching out to us. And this little video that I thought was just going to be something that just kind of expressed a a passion of mine is now turning it into its own movement, uh, wow. which you know we'll talk about. So then the last step is so that just gives you kind of like a real world example of what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then um, and it's a constant thing. Like that's the thing. I, I I'll never be that person that tells you that do this and you're forever whatever because life hits you every day and every day you've got to remind yourself of of these kind of some of these things. So this isn't just like a one and done thing, but it's an understanding. Once you understand a formula, then, you know, bam, you just imply it in, in every, t- every kind of situation that you seem to be being held back in. And so the last is hope. And this one takes a long time to explain. I won't go into all of it, but it's a real definition of changing the word hope. The simplicity of it is, is that we look at hope as this, I sure hope it works. I sure hope that guy comes and gets me out of this burning building there's probably a time and a place for that word to be used in that way, but I don't ever use it that way. Um, my understanding of hope is choosing insanity over old, excuse me, choosing insight over ultimate insanity, which means that you are unleashing your individual core, your unique core out to the world. And you're standing in a place of power. You're standing in a place of acceptance of who you are. You've healed yourself. And now you have a clear understanding and the part of insight over insanity is really it's insane to sit there and hope that something's going to happen and you're not going to do a damn thing about it, right? Like 
Mm-hmm. I sure hope that, you know, the Packers win the Super Bowl. Well, what? Like, how is, are, are you going to go and cheer the team on? Are you going to go coach them? Are you going to, you know, support something? Like, what good does it do to sit there and tell your buddies that you hope the Packers win the Super Bowl? That's like, that's pretty insane. Like, I mean, if we really like take a moment and just stop for just a second, think about it and just think about saying? it, it's like, yeah, totally. what are you saying? Totally. Like, you know, like I would like the Packers to win. Okay, cool. But using that word just is kind of like, what? So it's really this understanding of saying, you know, if the Packers get the, get X, Y, Z person, right? If the Packers get Marshawn Lynch, um, they're going to win the Super Bowl. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, you know that Marshawn Lynch is is the the core that they're missing, which it's actually not. Uh, they've got Eddie Lacy, and he's pretty good. But I'm just saying, like, whatever the whatever that piece is, right, you've kind of identified it. Well, think in your own life, right? Like, you don't have all the answers. But if you can look out and say, wow, I saw how Richard Branson did that. I saw how Gary Vaynerchuk did that. I saw how Joel Brown did that. I saw how this person did that. I'm going to implement those same things. Mm-hmm. I have total insight now of what I'm doing and I know who I am and what I have. So now I'm in control. I'm in power. I'm the one making that happen. So hope is more of kind of like a, it's a map. It's a directional positioning of understanding where you are and who you are. So you take all those three things together and it's called H cubed. And you know, if you really want to dive into it, it's totally free. Uh, it's superhuman.life. Uh, and it's a, I don't know, two, three hours of me yelling at a camera telling you what to do. <laughs> I highly recommend it. I actually went through it and uh, it, it's, it's quite the, quite the set of videos. Very, very impactful for me personally. I'll post Good. a link also on the, uh, on the show notes as well. So it's easy accessible. So uh, as we're, we're kind of coming close to the conclusion, I want to ask you what, if, what is one message that you would leave uh, the world um, if you were to, to pass on? Oh, um, I got a lot of them. Um, but if you're saying just one, um, limitations, I think that, uh, labels, limitations, um, you know, we're getting more in a world now where we're starting to see other people can do anything like that's Facebook's littered and with videos of, of people who shouldn't be doing things, doing things. And that somehow is supposed to motivate the rest of us. And to some people it does. Sometimes that's all you need, but really it's an internal conversation um because you'll your brain will analyze why that's not you like paraplegic wins a surfing competition right which is one of my buddies actually he's up for uh he's competing in the world champion surfing competition and he's a paraplegic that's and amazing. so yeah right it's amazing but your first brain your first thought is like that's amazing that's so cool and then you're like but i'm not a paraplegic and and a, i'm not saying that that's negative or positive i'm just mm-hmm. saying your brain analyzes it and says oh that's not me Mm-hmm. And we sit there and we're like, well, duh, well, duh, what you're selling your subconscious is, is that any of that kind of motivation is really just, it's fluff. I mean, I don't know how to better say it. It's, it, it's fluff because your brain is, is counteracting it. Your, your subconscious is just deep, basically just spitting it out the back end. Now, if you take that and you say, you know, if you have a conscious conversation with yourself and you say, you know what, I've, I've always been scared to surf or I've always been, you know, scared to do this thing because, I didn't feel like I had the ability to do it or I didn't feel like I had this, you know, this motivates me to go out and do it. And then here's the key is you go out and do it. Then that video could be amazing. Then that video could have transformed your entire life. Right. But it's on you to do it. And so my thing is, would be, I guess, is to, to remove the limitations that you've self-imposed on yourself. No one else has done that. Even if somebody else has told you, right. 
and you'll if you go through my course, I, I get kind of blunt in the second video about my opinion on people who abuse you or do things to you. Because mm-hmm. my whole life changed once I realized totally. where the where the power lied. So I don't care if your your mother has told you that you're the ugliest person in the world and you could never be a model. Like I really don't care. Um, you're the one believing it. You're the one that's that's putting those limitations on yourself. Yeah, she didn't help, and and she you know probably isn't going to win Mom of the Year award uh, with that statement. But it's not her fault. It's your fault for not taking you know for not releasing that limitation. So and then doing something about it. Like mm-hmm. if it really bugs you that much that your mom says you're you know you're too ugly to be a model. Do you want to be a model, or is it just that it hurt because she said it? Like where's the reality? Where's the honesty there? If it's hurt because she said it, then you need to look inside of yourself and figure out why are you allowing that to hurt you? And then again, heal, go through that whole process. And then, you know, maybe you need to go make your mom some cupcakes that will give her the runs for the day. I don't know, like figure (laughs) it out. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But I'm just saying like, you know, figure out what the real is. If it's because you want to be a model, well then knock it off and, you know, get out there and and be a model and, and then be that video that gets on Facebook and, you know, ugly girls, number one model in the world. I don't know, or ugly boy. I, I, I'm just saying, like, you're the one that that's uh, putting those limitations on yourself. I probably just offended, like, every single person, but that's not what I was trying to say. But, uh, you know, the, or do, excuse me, the, the whole conversation is, is it release the limitation. And part of releasing that limitation is taking action. You know, take the action in your life, even if you even if you don't know every single aspect of what you're going to do to get to the end result, if you know what the end result is, you're clear on who you are, you're clear on why you're existing, don't be scared to take action. Too many people talk too much without mm-hmm. doing. And totally. that, that's something that needs to change in this world. Thank you for sharing that, man. Um, uh, t- tell, us, tell us where you are right now, what you're working on now, and, and uh, tell us about your goal for 2025. Yeah. So, um, that video, right. That I was talking about. So for the last, uh, I don't know, seven or 10 years, I've passionately like passion project for maybe five years, been working with kids and helping kids and helping people. I started getting a little in 2006, seven, I started getting a little more open about my story and where I'd come from and who I was. I reached out to my biological father. I met him. He's a celebrity. Um, so that was kind of weird thought he was going to be in my life. We were going to have like this, you know, this Hollywood moment of like, you know, slow motion music in the background (laughs) and we'd forever be friends. Uh, Yeah. Right. And watch football games together and go fishing on the weekends. But that didn't happen uh, at all. And I've spent, you know, very, very, very little amount of time with him uh, since 2006 uh, until today. And so uh, but I started telling my story and, and I was fearful. Yeah, of course I started writing a blog and I started getting a thousand people reading it and then 5,000 and 20,000. It was like, holy shit, like wow. people actually care about my story. That's weird. Um, so that started me kind of on this journey of, of sharing and talking, which then led me to my true passion, which is helping children. And so for the last two years, I've been traveling, um, the United States. i like 87,000 miles on my car last year to get to places that, you know, you can't fly to. And I don't know how many, you know, flights I've taken across the United States. Um, starting tomorrow, I'm on a, I'm on a uh, traveling schedule that will have me gone for 42 days, uh, speaking to youth, um, you know, and traveling and, and sitting and I, and I don't just go and stand on a stage and leave. Like I get knees to knees with these kids. Um, I'll live in their homes. Uh, I've lived in, in homes and, and worked with children and families, 
you know, and it's a passion thing for me. Like I, I don't sleep, um, and that's fine. It's not a big deal. It's not, ooh, you know, let's applaud me. Uh, it is literally, I just, there's so much to do and I'm so excited to do it that I just can't sleep. It's like, my brain is like, not you're, you know, I'll give you these two hours and then get up Chapman. You got things to do. So, um, I'm really excited to hang out with Tony Robbins and like, you know, put him up for one. He's got a tumor that keeps him awake and, and doing his thing. So I'm kind of like, you know what, let's go, you know, tumor against no tumor and see who's got it. But, uh, it's passion really. I mean, he loves what he does and, and I know his, his son and, you know, Tony's a great, you know, passion guy and, and, uh, I'm just teasing, but, uh, it's passion, right? Just there's, there's, there's no need for it in, in this chapter of my life. So I've been doing that going amazing. We're in seven or eight countries, helped thousands of kids. It's been a phenomenal, phenomenal experience with a human project. We're talking yeah, about. That's, yeah, that's, that's a human project. So I, a human for everybody yep. who's listening, a human project.com formed that it's all about empowering kids. We're building the world's first, uh, interactive gamified educational platform for youth where no matter where they are in the world, no matter what they're going through, we'll have, when we're all done, we'll have 365 courses that these kids can go through basically one course a day, teaching them everything, you name it. Uh, I want to teach them, you know, how to, if they're depressed, how to fight their depression, their suicide thoughts, cutters, you know, all the mental things, illnesses mm-hmm. that these kids are dealing with, help them with that. Going back to my story, I was labeled, I was on drugs and all these different things. And I haven't been on a drug for 19 years and like all this stuff. So I've got all of that. And then we're getting guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and, and Robert Herchevec and Dan Martell to come in and teach children about business and starting your own company and how oh, to do that. Amazing. I've also got um, young entrepreneurs. Like I've got a girl who's been an entrepreneur since she was seven selling jewelry and she's going to come in. She's like 14 now. So she's going to come in and she speaks all over the country. She's going to be an ambassador and also an educator. You know, she, she's like, hey, you have this little idea. This is how you do it. So these youth will just have this amazing encyclopedia of, of information and it's all gamified and they can have fun with it. So then the the that was kind of where I was at. And then about a month ago, I had a really powerful individual um, who I sat down with and, you know, he's doing some crazy things and as a part of things like, you know, mining asteroids and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And he asked me, he said, Wes, what's your... That's Elon Elon Musk? No, no, it wasn't him. But you're in the right family. You're in the right area. So, um, and he said, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what's your main goal? And, And I gave him my stereotypical speech, you know, which actually... A lot of people kind of roll their eyes at. I said, I want to impact 25 million lives. That's kind of my goal. And, you know, I got going and he just said, you know, seriously, like, what do you want to do? And I kind of was, I kind of stood back for a minute. I was like, what, what, what do you mean what I want to do? I just told you I want to impact 25 million lives. You know how many people tell me I'm crazy for that? And, and he was really good at what he did. And he said, Wes, no, like, tell me exactly what you're trying to do. And, and, and I started going like, dude, 25 million lives. Man, people have already told me that I can't do that. And he said, fuck them, was his exact words. He said, wow. what do you really want to do? And I said, fine, you really want And we kind of got, not like heated, but, you know, we kind of got like a little bit like, all right, <laughs> fine. You know? And I said, all right, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to eradicate mental illness. And it was like dead quiet at the table that we were sitting at. There was like five other people. And he was like, good. I got some people you need to talk to. I've got some medical, like, and again, I can't drop all the names, but one of the largest medical facilities in the world. And I got this and this and this and all this thing. And, and you put together your little plan, like what your plan is, put it together as, as quickly as you can, send it over to me, and I'm going to connect you with some, some big players, mm-hmm. one of them being you know guys like Elon and Peter and stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. I said, 
serious? And he's like, dead serious. Get it over to me. So this video that I created was, was about that. It was about my frustration with uh, the victim mentality that we live in. This is the viral video we're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I I'll made have some... that posted as a, as a link <laughs> yeah. on the show notes as well. And, and I get why people kind of, you know, weren't super excited about some of the things that I said. But mm-hmm. uh, Is it a nuanced point? Is that, is that you know? So yeah, you know, I, I, I talked about, I have a friend who, again, the surfer guy, he's a good buddy of mine. He's mm-hmm. a paraplegic. And 10 years ago, 15 years ago, he was, he was feeling sorry for himself. And he was asking for everyone to pay attention to him and look at his, you know, disability. And he wanted all these special privileges and he wanted the rights to do whatever he wanted because, I mean, look, look what he was put into, this wheelchair. How mm-hmm. dare everybody else have legs? I mean, that was his mentality. And he changed. And he then quickly realized, like, wait a minute, I don't want everyone to look at my disability. I want everyone to look at my ability. So I told that story in a very quick way, and it came across as I was saying that everyone who has a disability is seeking attention. I can get it, but that's not where my heart was, again. Um, secondarily, you know, I use the word victim, and anytime you use the word victim in any kind of scenario, you get people who are upset. Uh, I also use the word crutch, um, which, again, is another word that gets totally. there. But, they're, they're triggers, but, right? Emotional triggers. Oh, yeah. They're the all emotional and... triggers. And and now looking back at it, I'm like, man, I just NLP'd my way into viralness. That was awesome. Wow. Have you, have um, you read that book, Contagious? Because you actually did. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you literally did. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, and it was totally unintentional. So that's just kind of what's fun about it. And, and wow. like I said, now there's a conversation happening, right? So whether you agreed with what I did or didn't, or didn't agree with it, the important thing is there's a conversation. And now we get to do another video that'll probably even offend more people because I'm going to be even more honest. But instead of it being from my perspective, it's going to be from a communal expe- um, perspective. And so I, I respect that, that you do that though. You, you have, you, you have your opinion and you voice it, you know, you say what's on your mind and you're honest with yourself and with your, w- with the people that you're speaking to. Yeah. And that, and that just, we get past the BS in that role. Absolutely. And so, yeah. so with this, um, as I'm working through a human project, my frustration is just seeing these kids, you know, at 14 years old, thinking that their lives are going to be full of medication or full of, of gangs or full of teen pregnancy or full of whatever. I'm just tired of it. Again, going back to the limitations, I'm tired of them seeing their life as a limited existence. And so, uh, I firmly believe with the knowledge that we have on the human mind, the brain, what we've learned about the human body, how the colon affects the brain, how what we eat affects our serotonin and our adrenal and our dopamine and how our cells, uh, interact, you know, the book, the book, the book by Bruce Lipton, I think it's called the belief of biology, understanding that our cells actually reprogram themselves based, based on our environmental standing and our environmental, uh, you know, just our environment really like what we put ourselves in, what we say to ourselves, we can program our brain to actually create negative thoughts, um, as, as a habit and instead of, you know, positive thoughts as a habit, which Mm -hmm. means you go through a bad experience and you instantly think of, you know, the bad thing rather than you can actually program your brain to go through a bad experience and then think of the positiveness is the positive side of that. I mean, these are deep things, but then on the science level, you know, we're figuring out what the, what triggers the neurons that the neurons are basically like the iris to the brain. They accept the light, you know, and then they send the signal and mm-hmm. you get the electroshock and which is why we played with electroshock therapy. I mean, there's all these things we know and on a cellular level and now onto, you know, just these, these trillions of neurons and all these different things, like we're getting down so fine. Basically, we're able to see things that we've never been able to see before, much like in 1946, when we took a picture of the earth and actually saw that it was round, 
now nobody could, you know, argue that the earth wasn't round anymore. Cause still up to 1946, there were still people being like, we don't know it's round. So, you know, I've never seen the earth round. Now it's like, tell someone the earth isn't round and you know, you're an idiot. Like, it's like, are you smoking something, dude? Like yeah, what's going yeah, on? Yeah. I mean, now we're, now we're putting flags on Mars and, you know, getting ready to, to take rocks from, from Pluto. So, you know, it's just all these things are happening um, in that world. Well, that's affecting all the other scientific stuff, right? And so we're understanding so much more. So to say that we can't get rid of something like mental illness, to me, is is more ridiculous than saying we can because it's all there. We What it really comes down to is we have to find the business model that makes it worth getting rid of mental illness, right? Because yeah. the business model right now for mental illness is is pretty profitable. It's medication drugs. <laughs> yes no kidding um, and so that's a pretty profitable thing so we've we've got to make the eradication of mental illness mm-hmm. just as profitable and so there's a business aspect to it all this stuff but i i firmly believe so that's why i put it out there and i also am you know we're putting together a website the 2025.com or the 2025.com project you can put the link in there uh, we'll have a video up in the next couple of days after you and I get off this interview. I'm locking my doors and writing the video script. I'm going to script it this time and B-roll it and everything. But uh, Tw- The 2025project.com? Mm-hmm. Okay, got and, it. And, you know, right now we're just, uh, we're just getting ready in October, on October 17th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Of you that are in the United States, I will be uh, presenting with Gary Vaynerchuk and Robert Herchevec and... John Lee Dumas and Dan Martell and I just, I don't know, there's like 20 speakers, Ty Lopez, you know, just a bunch of different guys. Oh, that's incredible. I'll be speaking on that stage as well. And on that day, so October 17th, 2017, I, or 2015, excuse me, I will be um, releasing my keynote, my presentation of how we are going to actually do this, like the steps that we need to take, the business model that exists um, to eradicating this, uh, how we can make a hundred times more money by eradicating this than we can actually do by treating it. Um, and I'm talking on the eradication side and, and maybe it's the wrong choice of words, but I don't care cause it's bold. Um, I'm talking on a person to person level, you know, it's, it's always going to be there because trauma is always going to be there, mm-hmm. but it's, it's almost like now, we've eradicated broken arms to a degree. I mean, we can argue that and say that I'm crazy, but like if you break your arm, it's not, I mean, in the, in modern, in the modern society, it's your arm isn't going to forever be, you know, deformed. You go to the hospital, they set it, they put you in a cast, you're good to go and you walk out and you're done. They don't give you a bunch of pills and tell (laughs) you that, you know, this may make it so you can cope with your broken arm. Good luck with that. (laughs) Uh, Which is really what we did. Uh, I know it sounds so brutal, but it is actually what we do. Yeah, and and it's what we did with broken broken bones at some point, you know? It was like, oh, drink this bourbon and, you know, good luck. You know, hopefully <laughs> well, that won't that won't uh this this will make it so you can cope and ride your horse back to town, you know? Good luck with that. I mean, that that was that was it. So, now saying that, you're it's, you know, it's ludicrous. Like, no, you break your arm, you go get it fixed. Well, what if you went through trauma? Uh, a girl gets raped, a, a guy gets, you know, beaten, whatever happened, the trauma triggers the brain to go into some of these mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. let's take you to the doctor and do the same thing and, and not treat it, but eradicate it it's out of your body. It's gone. Totally. You're born with something, you know, you're born with a brain de- de- um, deformation, you're, bra- you're born with a lack of a chemical uh, to be controlled. Let's fix it. Let's, you know, let's eradicate it. So I'm talking, I guess, more on a person to person level. Um, 
So maybe I shouldn't have said, you know, eradicate because that to some people means like it'll never be a problem again. But I, I believe, I'm no doctor, but I believe that polio, there's still people that, you know, have gotten polio after, you know, we quote unquote eradicated it. But now we know exactly what to give you and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so I'm just saying like, again, I'm not a scientist, but I have a theory. I have enough knowledge on the brain after studying it for 19 years that I, I believe that it's very, 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 very possible. Yeah. And I also believe that there are a lot smarter people out there than me, that if I can be the one that stands up and holds the flag and say, hey, everybody over here, this is where we're going to do it, that they're going to, you know, there's going to be enough communal conversation that happens that people are want to get a, get on board. And you know what? I don't even care. Like somebody else can figure it out and solve it and write a thesis paper and get paid billions of dollars. I don't really care. Um, what I care about are these kids who are dealing with this, concept of limitlessness i don't want that to exist in their lives anymore mm-hmm. and i don't want them to feel that their only option is ritalin or prozac or zoloft or whatever other medication comes out onto the planet to exist i want them to know that you know they can overcome these things and, and create a life of substance of joy of you know, you know that's beautiful that's that's full of excitement and meaning passion yeah and i think cool. if we started telling that story we wouldn't be telling the stories of racism. We wouldn't be telling the stories of hate. We wouldn't be telling the stories of all these these things that the media starts shoving down our faces. I, I want to make it so that the news goes out of business because you know the only news you can ever report is that uh, you know that everybody's doing awesome, right? <laughs> it's like that would be amazing. Like, yeah, and, and instead you know of uh, constantly negative news, which is yeah, CNN, right? And and a lot of people say, oh, you know, that's unicorns and and you know, care bears, but. The reality is, is that anything is possible when we come together as a community and we understand that the uniqueness inside of us can create, you know, different, again, all the way back to your own organism, your own self, right? Creating the perfect team inside of yourself. Now, once you've done that, now let's create the perfect team on the field, which is the perfect team of life, right? How do we work together as a community? How do we, how do we do these things? And they exist to some level because the human imagination has been writing about it for since the dawn of time. I mean, heaven is that place, right? Heaven is that place where we all go. There, there's the conversation that, okay, well, logically, we can't have you know everyone there, so let's create this hell, right? So now we've got the good over here in heaven, and we're all living Care Bear lives, and then everybody else is over there in hell burning to death. I think that's that's moronic. I think that's that's ridiculous, and I and. Also, when you think about the concept that God is supposed to be this father in heaven, what father is going to send half of his kids or three quarters of his kids into Care Bear land and the other, you know, <laughs> the other half and the other quarter into like the Incerner? Like what? Like it doesn't make any logical sense to me. Like that just I'm a dad. Like I have a son and a daughter. That's like me saying, hey, daughter, go to Care Bear. Hey, son, why don't you jump in the hot furnace and burn to death? Like, it doesn't make any logical sense to me, right? I love so, the rawness of it. It's so true. It's so, so true. Can, so I, I think mate. that the utopia exists. It's the limitations that stop us from creating that. So am I on a, a huge mission? Is this massive? Am I going to see utopia in my lifetime? I don't know. I have no idea. If we continue going down crazy paths and creating these these stupid wars for absolutely nothing, uh, utopia may be all that, all that can you know, all that's left. I mean, the Phoenix rises from the ashes, right? So if we, if we create this world full of ashes, the only choice is for the Phoenix to rise. I don't want us to get to that point. I I don't, I think that's a lot of unnecessary pain that we have to go through as a society, as a civilization, when we have so much understanding 
of ourselves, of science, of history. Like, why do we need to be the Romans all over again? That just seems so moronic to me. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we need to do this? The Vikings, the Romans, the, you know, the Aztecs. Like, at what point are we going to understand that civilization's greatness is not on its gold, but it's on its humanity? Totally. And so that's what I'm excited about doing with, with Project 2025. And, and I'll lead the battle cry for sure, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be the one that, you know, knows everything, but I have no problem leading the battle cry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to, you know what I'll do is I'll write an article when uh, that video comes out on your speech. So October 17th, 2015, right? Uh, yeah. When that gets released, I'll post it on our website and uh, I'll help uh, create more awareness and, uh, and, and try and spread the word of your journey. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, Wes, thank you so much for your time today, mate. Um, uh, truly, I'm, your, your goals and ambitions are admirable. And it just makes me think, you know, what am I really working on? You know, how can I, how can I make this thing bigger, grander? And, uh, you know, I, I applaud you for everything that you're doing. And thanks so much for your time today, mate. Hey, likewise. You have a great day.